You are listening to History Man, a project of ekbarns.com, where we walk in the footsteps of heroes and proclaim freedom reigns. On today's podcast, we feature Kip Carter, friend of the revolution, a historical guru of the Southern campaigns. So welcome, Kip. Thank you. I appreciate it, Eric. Kip, we're speaking today or, or recording today from your home, which is actually sits on the battlefield at Hanging Rock, which is about 20, 25 miles above Camden. Is that correct? Uh, from the Camden battlefield to here is about uh, 18 miles. The, the road in front of your property, uh, is it the Great Wagon Road? It is the Great Wagon Road. runs from Philadelphia down to Charleston and Savannah. Uh, but through this part of the state, a lot of the road uh, has a lot of branches to it, but in this part of the state, it is the road. We're on the, uh, the road runs along the uh, fall line between the Lynches and the Catawba River. So a drop of water in my front yard goes to the Lynches, and a drop of water in my backyard goes to the Catawba River. 521, and we have talked uh, to some historians in Camden, it kind of gave us the idea that 521 was really the Great Wagon Road. And really, 521 runs a little east of here. Uh, this is actually Flat Rock Road. This is Flat Rock Road, and uh, this is uh, on the ridge line that connects uh, Lancaster with uh, Camden. And so this was the Great Wagon Road. 521 really didn't exist back right. then. Right. Uh, but, of course, once you get up to Heath Springs, two miles north of us, it, that's where it 521 intersects the Flat Rock Road, and 521 then goes north and goes through Pleasant Hill. And in Pleasant Hill, the Great Wagon Road turns right and goes up State Road 522 toward Buford's Massacre site, where 521 goes straight on up toward Lancaster and then to Charlotte. And that was known as the Charlotte Cutoff and it swang from just below Salisbury down through Charlotte and then rejoined the Great Wagon Road here at Pleasant Hill. So Camden really was a, a, a pivotal place when the British took Charleston. They came to Camden and really kind of set up shop. It's kind of, kind of like the hub. They had a, a, a place in Sherall. They had a place in 96, and Camden was kind of like the center of the state. You correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, no, so Camden's the oldest inland city in South Carolina, and it was a, a trading point. There's a, a little bit of a, it's along, sort of along the fall line there, so there were a couple of mills there, uh, grist mills. Right. And, uh, so it, uh, it was originally called Big Pine Tree, uh, but then became known as Camden for Lord Camden, British uh, politician. And uh, so it was, it was a trading hub, and traders went out from there to the various Indian tribes uh, in the area. So that's why Camden was such an important place. And it's right on the Catawba Watery River also. The area that we're in now, uh, would it have been, when you talk about Indian tribes, I know that the Catawba Indians were a huge uh, Indian tribe in this area. Tell us a little bit about the Catawba Indians. Well, the Catawba today, of course, are greatly reduced as a result of uh, 200 years of land encroachment by uh, whites, also as a result of diseases. They were not, uh, had never been exposed to measles and mumps and smallpox, and they were uh, have been greatly reduced. But during the Revolution, they were a large tribe. They were sort of a... a uh, 
conglomeration of uh, several smaller tribes that that came together, the Waxhaw among them, and became the Catawba. And they were fierce warriors. In fact, the Cherokee were terrified of them. During the French-Indian War from 1756 to 1763, up in Virginia, a lot of the settlers up there in the Valley of Virginia uh, were uh, often raided by Native Americans, and so a lot of them began looking south, and this was a good area to to, uh, settle in because the Catawba were here and the Cherokee were terrified of them, and the Catawbas really liked uh, the settlers. In fact, they liked South Carolinians particularly because they said South Carolinians were honest traders. They, in fact, didn't like North Carolina, said those people up there always cheated them, and so they uh, considered themselves to be friends with South Carolina settlers. And when the state line was being run from the coast uh, up toward Charlotte, they had an era down near the coast, and by the time it got to uh, Charlotte, uh, it was going to put the Catawba Indians in North Carolina, and they were very upset about it. So they, they began looking at where the line was, and in fact the line should have included Monroe and Charlotte into South Carolina, but but didn't. So in order to make up for the problem, uh, North Carolina gave South Carolina northern Lancaster County, York County, part of Cherokee, and part of Chester County. Uh, that was called the New Acquisition. That happened in 1772. So all these people who thought they were North Carolinians suddenly became South Carolinians. And, of course, the Catawba were very happy because that put them firmly in South Carolina. I was talking to Zach Limhouse from the York County Cultural Museums, and he was talking about just that controversy and was talking uh, that uh, even some of the records uh, of the settlers there in York County, some the Brattons, for instance, right. from Brattonsville, they were when they first moved here, they were considered to be in Mecklenburg County at, yes. at that time. And, and so, uh, how did that change? You said the Catawbas were upset and wanted to be in South Carolina. I saw a map of 1770, and a huge section of this area was considered the Catawba Indian lands. Oh yeah, up and down the river, most of uh, all of northern Lancaster County. Uh, was considered part of their lands. In fact, in in the treaty with the Catawba Indians, they were given uh, a huge tract of land here, which they rented out to to white farmers, and eventually the white farmers, sort of by adverse possession, took over the property. Then about 15, 20 years ago, I lose track of time, the uh, Catawbas decided they were going to exercise their rights and so the result was that there was virtually no property in South Carolina, in northern Lancaster County or in York County that didn't have a cloud on the title because the Catawba were claiming it. And so it became very difficult to transfer property with a clean title. So finally, the state of South Carolina worked out an agreement with the Catawba to get clear title to the land, and the Catawba in return took a, a cash settlement. 
I was uh, reading, and you were you were saying that they were very fierce warriors, and and the Cherokee were scared, uh, were fearful of them. I don't want to say scared, but fearful of them. They were fearful of them. Uh, but also the Shawnee were fearful of them, and uh, and several other Indian tribes. It made me think, uh, from a historical standpoint, that it was almost like they were the Spartans of the American Indian t- <laughs> Indian nations, that sort of thing, because uh, they welcomed the warlike spirit and. Uh, what I was reading is that 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 was, though they were matriarchal uh, in in the way that they set up their tribe as the Cherokees as were Cherokee as well. Cherokee were also, yeah. They put a lot of credit into the battles and the and having a warlike spirit. And, uh, yeah, they were, and they uh, in, in the early d- days when we were considering uh, breaking with the British, a uh, delegation was sent from Charleston here to to the Catawba to uh, ask them would they support the settlers if, if they uh, broke with England. And the Catawba agreed to fight with the South Carolinians. And so the report back to Charleston was the Catawbas are with us, uh, which was taken as a sign that uh, we had a good chance of uh, actually succeeding in breaking free of the British. And the Catawba were very active in 1776. They were involved at the Battle of Charleston, where the British were defeated. They were out on the point with some of the men from this new acquisition militia here, uh, holding off Lord Cornwallis, who was trying to cross to uh, Sullivan's Island to get into the back of the Palmetto Fort. Now, was uh, that Cornwallis? Yeah, that was Cornwallis. He was the land commander. Okay. Uh, the, with Peter the, Parker's the, Peter, fleet. Sir Peter Parker was the British overall British commander because he was the the uh, admiral. Okay. Yeah, they they took a real beating from the Palmetto Fort, and Cornwallis was never able because of the water depth and the accuracy of the fire from the Catawbas and the new acquisition militia. Uh, he tried to to uh, wade across to the island. He tried to come across on flat boats, uh, and the fire from shore was so intense that they were never able to do it. So that left it up to the British Navy to try to report, and they weren't able to do it. In fact, uh, Peter Parker's boat, uh, his ship was uh, badly mauled. Uh, He had his pants blown off of him. He was wounded, and and it blew his britches off of him. Then they finally gave up and, and left. Of course, that's where the palmetto tree comes from in our sure. flag Sure, is the palmetto fort there. And the Catawbas were at uh, many of the major battles. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And, and they were here at, at the uh, Battle of Hanging Rock. Okay. There were probably in around 35 warriors uh, under Chief New River, and uh, he had two captains under him and, a, and another 30 or so warriors. And they played an integral part in the battle here. Is there any hero, any story out of this area that kind of kind of piques your interest? Well, of course, Davy is, is has always piqued my interest, but uh, that's in part uh, because uh, my great grandfather was a Davy. I don't know if we're related or not, but sure. f- but from Orange County, North Carolina, up in, up where he was from, and uh, he was such an outstanding uh, uh, person, you know. A, 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 a real patriot, a, a gentleman, a man of uh, outstanding character. His wife was from Eastern North Carolina. He married into the Jones family, uh, who were prominent Federalists in Eastern North Carolina. 
in fact, a descendant of Jones is, serves in Congress right now from Eastern North Carolina. Really? So, yeah, and his father before him. And so they were a very prominent family. So Davy married very well, but his, he had strong connections to this area right here and was very familiar with the area around Hanging Rock and, uh, and influenced Andrew Jackson. And Jackson, of course, goes on to become president of the United States and the Jacksonian revolution, so to speak, uh, is, is where democracy really, as we understand it today, got its start in America. Davy was a very interesting guy. He was uh, from eastern North Carolina, but his, his uncle was William Richardson. He was the minister of the uh, Presbyterian Church here, so he spent a lot of time as a youth in this area. And he, and he retired here and died here and is buried here in Lancaster County. He was, uh, as you say, the founder of the University of North Carolina. He was at one time governor of North Carolina. He was the minister to France, a staunch Federalist politically. During the war, was considered to be a, a brilliant tactician, and he was a great fighter. Interestingly enough, though, uh, he gave up fighting because Nathaniel Green, when he became commander of the American forces in the South, needed somebody that he knew was capable of supplying his army. And so Davy was appointed quartermaster, and he's the one who made sure there's a, the famous race to the Dan River in which Cornwallis is trying to catch Green after the Battle of Cowpens. And Green manages to stay ahead of him. There's always food for the Army. There are always boats to cross the river. So every time they got to a river, Green got across because of Davy's planning. And then Cornwallis would get to the river, and there'd be no boats, and that would slow him up. And eventually, Green was able to crossed the Dan River into Virginia, and Cornwallis gave up and turned south again, at which point Green circled him, and they met up at Guilford Courthouse, where Green used the tactics that Morgan had used at Cowpens. Uh, you know, the British had a victory that day, but it was a pareric victory. Uh, they lost so many men that, in the words of one member of Congress, uh, of Parliament, that if we had another victory like this, we wouldn't have an army left. Right. Right. So, so uh, uh, Davy played an, an incredibly important role in making sure that Green was able to fight. As Green would say, we fight, we get beat, we rise up, and we fight again. So Reverend Richardson, what faith was he? He was Presbyterian. Everybody back here just about was a Presbyterian. This whole area was settled by Scotch-Irish Presbyterians. And while they're all Baptist here now, if you scratch these Baptists, you're going to find a Presbyterian under there. So so from a, uh, from a, a belief standpoint, what separated the Presbyterians uh, of that ilk from the Anglicans or the Puritans or, you know, other denominations or faiths? Well, it's it's very complex, and it goes back to back to England. The Scotch Irish were not uh, Highland Scots; they were Lowland Scots, and so Northern England and Southern Scotland is where these people lived. Uh, they were called borderers, and they lived on the land there. And what happened was, in the as the Industrial Revolution began, woolen mills came into being. 
and the landowners discovered that they could make more money raising sheep on their land than they could by having tenant farmers on their land. I see. Nobody, only the only the nobility owned land in England. Uh, everybody else was a tenant. And so these people were driven off the land. They were shipped to Northern uh, Ireland, the, uh, which is now the, the six counties in Northern Ireland, because there was land there. They so were discriminated the- against by the British. The British really didn't like them at all. Right. Uh, and so a number of laws were passed that they couldn't be uh, sheriffs. They couldn't hold office. If they were Presbyterian, they were all Presbyterians. They were not legally married unless they were married by an Anglican priest. So their marriages weren't legal. Their children were illegitimate. Did this carry over into the colonies? And it carried over into the colonies. Uh, They came here, uh, mostly into uh, uh, Pennsylvania and New Jersey, though a few came through Charleston. And they uh, settled here in the backcountry. And the people along the coast, who were originally from Barbados, uh, English settlers from Barbados came over here. They were all Anglicans, and so they were glad to have the Scotch-Irish, who had been fighting all their lives anyway, born to fight, they say. Uh, they were glad to have them between the Cherokee and the Shawnee and, and you know the various Native American tribes. They were glad to have the, the uh, scum of the earth, as they called them, back here in the uh, upcountry of South Carolina insulating them from uh, Native American attacks. And there had been a number of them over the years, the Yamasee Wars back in the 1730s. So they were they were glad to have the Scotch-Irish here. And of course, being Presbyterians, they didn't have much use for the Anglicans. The Scotch-Irish believed that they had no king but Jesus. And so uh, they, they were a, an obstreperous group of people, to put it mildly. Kind of put them uh, at odds with the king no matter what at that point, didn't it? No matter what, yeah. No, they had never liked having a king. There was a a minister that used to, there was a a group called the Society for the Propagation of the Gospel in Foreign Parts. And if it was a foreign part, it was the back country of South Carolina. And so Anglican missionaries were sent out to these heathens. Was this Woodmason? This was Woodmason, Charles Woodmason. Even in his diaries, he didn't have too much good to say about some of the people he ran into. Though. No, it's very interesting. He was very negative about the people in his diaries, yet when you read, there was a, a movement in seventeen early 1770s called the Regulator Movement. It was very much more active in North Carolina than South Carolina. I mean, there was actually a, a small battle in North Carolina uh, with the regulators and, and who were in the Scotch-Irish inland. This is, this is Alamance, right? Alamance, Battle of Alamance. Where the, the governor brought cannon and the, the regulators didn't have any cannon. That's they, exactly they right. They actually got uh, beat that day. Yeah, that's exactly right. But if you look at the petitions from the backcountry here to the uh, legislature down in, in Charleston, it's obvious from internal textual criticism that Wood Mason wrote those things. So he must have felt some kind of feeling for these people. Anyway, he would have mass weddings back here. You know, he he would marry two or three hundred couples at a time. Some of them would, you know, he would say women great with child and children clinging to their skirts, and he would marry them so that their marriages would be legal under colonial law. He He was an interesting character. He was always complaining he didn't have enough money and wasn't even able to buy enough food. 
And so his friends in Charleston got him a job. Are we talking about Woodmason's? Woodmason, yeah. Got Woodmason a job that they said was going to give him some money. It was called a sinecure. He wouldn't have to do much. He would get a a good income from it. And uh, so he was appointed the tax collector, stamp tax collector for South Carolina. Well, we know how that went over with the Boston Tea Party, et cetera. And Woodmason left South Carolina under duress. And uh, we don't know what happened to him. He went back to England, and we lose track of him. But he was an interesting character. So William Davy came from the eastern parts of North Carolina, came into this area with his uncle, who was a Presbyterian minister, right. is what you're saying. And then he grew up in that. During the Revolutionary War, William Davy was in his early, early to mid-20s? Yeah, he was uh, 23, 24 along. Well, you know, the war lasted for nine years, eight right. years. But he was a young man, very well thought of, well-educated uh, for the times, and uh, and was a brilliant tactician. He was actually wounded at the Battle of Stono Ferry, correct? Uh, yeah, yeah, but and that he went that was like law yeah. or read law. Yeah, he read. Time. Yeah, he read the law. Uh, there were no law schools back then. You went to a lawyer and and you studied under him. You read for the law, just like Andrew Jackson right. did later. Who was saw, actually from this area as well? Yeah, right, exactly. Uh, but In fact, he, he was here at the Battle of Hanging Rock. Was he? He was. He was thirteen years old. Uh, his brother was sixteen, and his brother was wounded here in the battle. Uh, Andrew Jackson carried messages for Davy. Andrew Jackson thought Davy was the finest man he ever met, and he said he wanted to model his life on Davy. Of course, he didn't, but uh, he really admired Davy, and Davy used him as a messenger some during the battle. In fact, uh, Davy gave him one of his pistols to carry. Let me ask you this, uh, Kip. What does liberty mean to you? Oh, that's a... That's a very uh, broad question. I mean, you just have to go back to the ability to have the pursuit of happiness, the ability to make decisions about how you want to worship, uh, uh, what you want to do to make a living, the freedom to own land, the freedom to read books. Uh, that's liberty to me. What would you want people to take away from their visit to South Carolina in regards to the Revolutionary War and their visit to this area? That, that you find yourself in? Well, the truth is that the uh, Revolutionary War had stalled in the North and it had turned into a stalemate by uh, 1778. And the British realized that. And they decided that New England really wasn't worth having. They were willing to give up New England. But the real uh, value to in the colonies were the Southern colonies and the Mid-Atlantic. And so they began the Southern strategy in 1779. And so uh, this is where uh, the American Revolution was won, was in in the Carolinas, and in particularly South Carolina. People say that the revolution was over after Yorktown, but that's not true. Uh, Yorktown was near the end of the war, that's for sure, and it certainly broke the British will to continue the war. But the war continued here in the South. There was a major battle at Utah Springs. And if you if you look at the history of the American Revolution with an objective eye, the, the revolution was really won here in the South. It you know started in the North, but it was won here in the South. It's interesting that uh, people like yourself, uh, Charles Baxley, David Ruhr, and uh, the governor, 
and yeah. our representatives uh, they've gotten together and 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 established the Liberty Trail, and a lot of that Liberty Trail comes right up this road. Comes right through here. It's it's fascinating to to walk in those footsteps uh, from a historian standpoint, or just from a uh, someone who's interested in where liberty held, was held in the balance for our country. Yeah. And it was right here in South Carolina. Kip, thank you so much for your time with us today. I'm very happy to do it.